Amen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of John. We are in our third of four uh, short series. We're not going to do what we did three years ago and jump into the whole book of John, I promise. Uh, We won't spend the next three years in John. But we are going to spend at least another week. Um, And as we look at the book of John, we're seeing John's version of the Christmas story. John's Christmas story was very different than the other Gospels. The other Gospels focus on the humanity of Christ for Luke and on the fulfillment of the Messiah from Matthew. John, however, in this beginning and as well as the entirety of the book of John, focuses on his deity. He wants to make sure that his readers understand that this Jesus that is coming is not just a man. He's not just a prophet, but he is the God incarnate. We've seen that as we've walked through the first eight verses of this. And as today, as we look through the next paragraph, in verses 9 through 13, we're going to see th- four things. First, we're going to see surface disbelief. He came to the world, and the world did not know him. He, sh- he was the light by which the entire, entirety of the earth was created. And yet, he was rejected. Second, we'll see uh, specific disbelief. It, not only did he come to the world, but he came to his own. He came to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people that he came to rejected him. They would not have anything to do with him. Then we're going to see surface deliverance. He, he, he came that all would come to him by faith and, and trust and receive this gift that he's given. But we're also seeing the very last verse, specific deliverance. Specific deliverance that he came, and it was he came not, that it was not us, but it was fully of God that our salvation rests. Our main idea today is salvation from beginning to end is a work of God, and the title is John's Christmas Story Part Three: Disbelief and Deliverance. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. You can follow along on the screens or in your own version of the Bible. We're going to be looking at verse 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good God that has come to dwell with us, that you have brought salvation to us, and that you have called us to be your own. Father, I thank thank you that you came when we were yet sinners. And that you came to die for us. Father, I pray that we would, as we hear this message, as we open your word, that you would give us eyes to see by the power of your spirit. Ears to hear by the power of your spirit. And that we would leave this place looking forward to the imminence, to the coming of your son again. Father, we love you. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. Be saved. There are many reasons why we don't believe something. Some things are just too good to be true. We're told something and we look at it and we're like, yeah, right. I know you wish that, but that, that no way. Some things are just you hope isn't true. That you hear and you're like, man, I really hope that doesn't come to pass. 
And some things are just too hard to believe. Well, a few weeks ago, I was sitting watching TV, watching, probably, I think, the news, and I hear from the bathroom Judah yelling, Ezra's getting in the toilet! And I was really hoping that wasn't true. But sure enough, he came out of the bathroom, his, his whole shirt was soaked in toilet water. This morning, we're going to see two reasons why people disbelieve, and then we're going to see what God did about it. He did it anyway. Look with me at the first point. Surface disbelief, verse 9 and 10. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I want you to notice, at this surface level, there's no distinction. The light came that all would see. The light came that all would have sight. He was in the world, verse 10, and the world was made through him. And so we have this magnificence of the incarnation. Jesus, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. And John is revealing that it has already happened. He's revealing that this Messiah, this Savior, was coming. Over and over and over we see, we see prophecy after prophecy that have been fulfilled by Jesus. And we also see here that the, the incarnation, the true light. The true light is in the world. The true light. What is light in the scriptures? John uses it all the time. It's a metaphor for goodness. It's a metaphor for righteousness. And so he's saying the true light, the true goodness, the true righteousness came into the world. The, wor- the world who by nature understands that there is a God does not recognize the God when he comes. Why is that? Well, here's my, my explanation. Because everyone wants there to be a God, but they want the God to be made in our image instead of us being made in His image. If, if He is made in our image, then God is made to serve us. But if we are made in His image, then our purpose and our life is made to serve Him and make Him known. But because he did not, he did, he, he did not li- live up to the world's expectations, verse 10 tells us, yet the world did not know him. The creator became a part of creation, and yet it's rejected. Yeah, I, I want you to think back over the story of creation. They, 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 we've already seen in John that he, the world was created through him, right? He was the word by which it was created. The, the, but the creation had gone so far from God that w- when he was standing right in front of them, they did not recognize him. Look at John 3.16. We all know 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. But let's look on. Verse 17 through 19. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come. There's that light again. The true light. The light has come into the world. And the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Oftentimes we think we hear about Jesus condemning and he does. But he's condemning us for our works. 
He's condemning us. He's not us. He's condemning the world for the world's disbelief, for the world's rejection of the one true God. The true light, the creator of all things, has come. And he came so that we would have salvation. And yet, we have rejected him over and over and over again. Without God, we are already condemned, it tells us, because of our sinfulness. And this is all but expected. It's all but expected that the world would, would reject him. Why? Because we've seen it time and time and time again through the Old Testament and through our own eyes. But what's even more astonishing, what's more amazing, what's more shocking, is not only the surface disbelief from the world, but now we're going to look to the next verse. Verse 11, as we look to the specific disbelief. Specific disbelief. Look at verse 11. He came to his own. He didn't just come to the world. He came to the world that the world might believe through him. But he didn't just stop there. He came to his own. Why were they his own? Why, why were, well, who is he talking about here? He's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about the people that he had taken out of, the, out of obscurity and made a nation. He, said, he told Abraham, leave your, your land and go to this land over here. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. I will, I will, you, I will be your God and you will be my people. He takes this man, Abraham, who's up in age. In his 80s, his wife's in his 70s, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. They have no children. Now, some of y'all can imagine that. Some of y'all are at that age right now. It's impossible without God. And yet, through God, he makes them a great nation. Just as Abraham was called by God to be his and to be obedient to him, we are called as children of God to be his and be obedient to him. Ephesians chapter 1 says that you are predestined to adoption through, as sons through Jesus. He has come to you. He has blessed you by bringing you this gospel. What will you do with it? What will you do with your newfound salvation, the, the sonship that you've been made heirs of the king? Will you go on about your life as if, if, if it never mattered? Or will you bend the knee to him as Lord? He came to his own. He came to Israel. Galatians And Galatians make this abundantly clear. The New Testament says that we are the children of Israel. Jesus told the Pharisees, don't begin to say because you're children of Abraham that you, you were saved. But I can make out of these rocks children of Abraham. And Galatians says, the true Israel are those who have faith in him. That's us. That's anyone here that has placed their faith in Christ. We are God's true Israel. He came to us. He came for us. What will we do with this newfound sonship? Israel is, is G, in Jesus' day did not see him because even though they were told what to look for, they, were, they still wanted to look for a Messiah that was made in their image. Instead of seeing Jesus, who was foretold to come exactly as God had planned. Look at the rest of verse 11. And his own people did not receive him. Why is this so shocking? This should be abundantly shocking, but why is it so shocking? Well, 
It's because he had, they had prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about who Jesus was and how he would come. He would be born of a woman, Genesis chapter 3. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd be born of a virgin. It happened. The line of Abraham, it happened. The tribe of Judah, it happened. The descendant of David, it happened. He would flee to Egypt. We see that in, in Matthew. He would, he would de- de- be declared the Son of God. That happened at his baptism. And he would give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. Dead would be raised. And he would be crucified, even though it was prophesied that he would be crucified 400 years before crucifixion even existed. Time after time after time, Jesus was proven to be the Messiah that we were waiting on. And yet his own didn't see it. I want you to think today. Now, we've been told. We've been told when Jesus, or how Jesus will come again. We've been told that he will come again, that he will win. The Jews didn't believe that this was the Messiah. What will we do when Jesus comes? Are we ready for his second coming? Are we ready for his return? Because that's what Christmas is about. It's about the first incarnation, but it's also about the second coming of Christ, as, as Robin Ruthann read earlier. We must be prepared in our hearts, just as the Jews should have been, to receive and to see Jesus. Much like the world, we want God to act how we think he should. Though we know practically that he is Lord, we want him to act on our time and in our way according to our standards. The problem is that he is God and we're not. Today, is, is like Israel, you have, all, you have all you need to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Will you receive him and bend the knee to him in salvation and in lordship? It's one thing to come to him for the first time and say that I, I, I trust you. It's a whole other thing to actually live it. It should be connected, but far too often it's not. Will you learn from the, their mistakes and receive him? Jesus didn't leave us in our unbelief. He came, he conquered, and he won our salvation that we might have life through him. As we will see the, the plan of redemption coming to fruition. Look at the verse 12. We see our third point. Surface deliverance. Surface deliverance. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Let's stop there. How does one get delivered? How does one come to faith in Christ? How does one see God for the first time? It tells us right here. To all who did receive him and believe. Receiving is something that we do. It's a passive act. If someone gives you a gift, all you do is take it. But what about belief? If belief is something we do on our own, then belief is a work. There's a problem there because Jesus said, or Paul said rather in Ephesians, that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works that no man can boast. So if faith is a work, then we're in trouble. But Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. What is a gift of God? Look back at it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, talking about faith and the grace of God, is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. So our faith that we have, that we place in God, is of God himself. We believe because he has opened our eyes to see. We have can trust in him because he has given us the spirit so that we would be revealed. Jesus delivered all the world to receive and uh, he delivered all that would receive and believe no matter what your past is, no matter what sins you have done. When you can't come to Christ, all is forgiven. How much how much sin had you done when Christ died? It's 2000 years ago. The answer should be simple. None. And yet he called you that you would have faith in him. You, you bring your wickedness and your sins and lay it at the foot of the cross and receive the gift of salvation. Remember, reception is a passive, receiving it is a passive thing. And belief is a gift of God. There's none so far gone that Christ cannot save. And far too often we forget that. We forget that, we, we think in our heads too, far too often that that guy over there, they're just too far gone. That guy over there, they'd never come to church. That guy over there, they would, they hate God. No one is too far gone, is what our text tells us. He came that they would receive him and believe. And that is a passive and a gift of God. The reason is because salvation is of God and not us. But let us specifically, let us specific, let us look specifically what those that receive him through faith receive. The text continues in that same verse. He gave the right to become children of God. He gave those the right to become children of God. Now look at the context. Who's he talking about? Who are those? Who are those? But all who did receive him, that's who those are. Those who receive him, he gave the right. Now, how how have we earned this right? How have we been given this right? We can't earn it. How have we been given this right? It's a great exchange. Justification. Justification, what does it mean? Does anyone remember? said it many times. Just as if I never sinned. And just as if I always believe God, when we come to him and we are made sons of God, we are given the right to become children of God. We are made just as if we never sinned and just as if we always believe we are. He takes our wickedness and put it on Christ and he takes our his righteousness and puts it on us. Ephesians one. And we're going to walk through a large portion of this text, starting in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So before we did anything, before any, there was any creation, that's, that's Paul's way of saying before all things. Before anything you can think of, we can't think of eternity because we are finite and he is infinite. But before all things, he chose us that we would be holy and blameless. It continues to to show the same point. In love, he predestined. That simply means he chose beforehand. The exact same thing from verse 4. Chose us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now you've got to be asking yourself right now, why on earth would he do this? Why on earth would would God, Jesus, choose those whom he doesn't know? Why would those who he hasn't, he hasn't, hasn't lived, who hasn't done anything? Here, right there in verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. According to the purpose of his will and 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's why. It's for his purposes. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here's what I want you to see. That salvation is for all that would come to him, but it was specific. In Christ, the fullness of time had, had been revealed. In Christ, as he came, the fullness of time that we would come and we would have our, our sins paid for has been revealed. And it is because he has come and that, that we have been given the right to be sons. We are the, the adopted Children. Now, something was different back then as we looked about adopted children. And nowadays, if you go to some, some adoptive homes, adoption can almost be like a, you'd have your children, you'd be adopted children. Now, it shouldn't be that way, but it was. It is sometimes. In that day, if you were adopted, if you were an adopted child, you were actually put higher than the natural heirs. And so what this is showing us is that we have been adopted according to his grace and we are given the blessing above his, the natural heirs. How do I, what, what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus took our sins. He took our wrath so we don't have to, so that we can have the grace that he got, he, he earned, that he deserved. But now we must move from the more global to the more specific, as we see specifically how this was done and by whom it was done. The final, final part of this sermon, specific deliverance. Look at verse 13. Who, now we, once again, got to go back to our context. Who is he talking about here when he says who? God's people. Those who gave, he gave the right to be his children, from verse 12. Who were born not of blood. What does that mean? It means not of family line. You can't be born a Christian. No matter what other denominations tell us, you cannot be born a Christian. You're not born into the faith. You, you, you submit to him. You're not born of the blood is what this tells us. Nor of the will of the flesh. You can't desire salvation enough to earn it. That's what that means. You cannot in and of yourself desire salvation enough. Because if you could, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. Nor of the will of man. Now what's the difference between the will of the flesh and the will of man? Nothing is the answer. He's, he's making it abundantly clear that salvation is not of us. But, look at verse 13. This isn't Jensen, this is scripture. But of God. Salvation is completely of God. That's what it tells us. Verse 13 tells us that. Who were born not of the blood not your family line, nor of the will of the flesh, our own desiring, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, what do we do with that? What do we do with, with, with this? If, if salvation is completely of God, where do we play into it? We turn to Christ. We receive it and we believe it. That is something we do. We actively do it, but it's not a work. It's something that is a gift. And when we do that, he becomes our righteousness. Is because it is completely of God and not of us that we can have assurance of our salvation. 
If salvation were up to us, there would be no one saved. That's what Romans 3 reminds us of. Romans 3 says there's no one who does good. Not one. All have sinned. All have have fallen away. Their mouths are like open graves. In other words, there's none that would come after God. But because it is of God, we can know that he never breaks his promises and that he is always true to his word. It's because salvation is of God alone that we have hope. It's because he came as a baby and lived the life we could not, died in a place that we deserved, that we can have salvation and be justified. Now, what do we do with this message? How do we apply this to our lives? We've talked, looked a lot about how this points to Jesus being the only way of deliverance, how the world rejected him. The, let's, let's look at it today. The world rejects him. It's the first, that was the first point. The world rejects him. So what do we do with that? We take the gospel to the world. Amen? We take this gospel that you know, that you have heard, and we take it to all. Not just to some, but to all. We tell them of the glorious news of Jesus. We tell them that though they have sinned, God loved them enough to send the Son to die in their place. The world rejects him, but we bring it to them. Second part was his own rejected him. What do we do with that? Stop rejecting. Submit to Christ. He's not talking about Israel anymore. He's talking about you and me. Every time we get up and we don't bend our knee to Christ, every morning we get up and we make our own decisions without submitting to Christ, we are rejecting his rule and authority over our life. Every time we say, you know, I can do this, but I just don't have time. I'm not going to do it anymore. I could could go to this place. I I could tell the gospel to this person, but you know what? I'm just not going to. Now, you may not actually say that, but our actions say that. Every time we do not live the life that we are supposed to, every time we get stuck in a sin, a pattern of sin that we can't get out of, we are stuck in rejecting Him. And we must repent of that and turn to Him. And we must remember that while we were yet sinners, He came for us. Those who would despise Him, those who would reject Him, those who would hate Him. Ephesians chapter 2, I read it earlier, but I want you to look at I can probably quote most of it, but I want you to look at the first, the first few verses. Ephesians chapter 2. I don't often do this. I'm in the wrong spot. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. And you were dead in your trespass and sin. Now, who's he talking about there? about us? Everyone. He doesn't, he's not limiting it. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, which is what we just a large portion of what we just read, he's talking about his people. Those whom he called according to his, his glorious grace. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now worked in the sons of disobedience. Among whom, just in case you weren't sure that you were part of that, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He's saying that we are not special. We are only special because of what God has made us and turned us into. We have to tell, bring this to them. We don't bring the gospel of ourselves to the people. 
We bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who died in our place. We don't bring our own piety, our own holiness, our own righteousness, but his. And we tell them that he died so that they could have life. Amen. Amen, somebody. Amen to that, please. This is, this is the, what Christmas is about. This Christmas, we must commit more to Jesus. Simple reason. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's made you his sons. And if you don't like that, I'm sorry. But sons in that culture got everything. Daughters got nothing. So he's made you sons. And for the women that don't like that, he's made me a bride. So, so I have my own problems to work through. And the men here have their own problems to work through too. Because he has made us sons and heirs to all his blessings. Let's go Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good God that has come that we would have life and we would have it more abundantly. Father, I pray, I pray that as we, as we seek you this morning, that we wouldn't allow anything to cloud our judgment, that we wouldn't allow anything of the world to get in our way, but that we would come to you, that we would submit to you, and we would show our love. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here that needs repentance, I pray they would come to the altar or right where they're standing and they would repent of their sins and they, they, they would be able to seek you and their relationship would be healed. Father, if there's anyone here that needs to, to just simply pray, Father, I pray that you would help them show, you would show them your, your will. Father, we pray for this moment that you would be here and you would be moving. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen.